Here they come! Hello and welcome to episode 56 of Effectively Speaking, the podcast that takes a look at some of the special effects sequences of film and television, be they classic, average or duff. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and today I'm joined by Ian Marchant to discuss Snake Plissken's glider flight in Escape from New York. Why are we talking? I have a deal for you. Hello, Ian. Call me Snake. (laughs) Hello, Eric. That makes me Bob. Doesn't. Hello, Bob. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you're Fresno Bob. Yeah, no, no, no. I was thinking more Bob Halk. I've got more his hairline. Oh right. Uh, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and if somebody was going to play me in a movie, yeah, I'll, I'll take Lee Van Cleef. No Lee problem. Van Cleef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You, you can have Kurt Russell. Is you can be. You can have Kurt Russell. I'll have Lee Van Cleef. I'm quite happy with that. Well, if you take that clip out of context, that sounds terrible. But, <laughs> I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. All right. Well, I, my first question for you today is. What is the name of the film that we're watching today? The name of the film we're watching today? Uh, Escape from New York. See, that's what I call it. But it's not Escape from New York. It's John Carpenter's Escape from New York. But do you know anybody that actually calls it John Carpenter's Escape from New York? No. No. Now, is it... so is it is it registered as that name, yes. or is it the fact that that's on the title? No, it's re- I, I I went and checked. I, I went through his whole filmography and googled, you, you know, the film poster. Okay, so I looked at the official yeah. cinema posters, and the only films that don't have the prefix of John Carpenter's is Elvis the movie, right? Big Trouble yeah. in Little China, and right. uh, Memoirs of an Invisible Man. Because he doesn't want his name on I guess so, with that one, yeah. Yeah. But all the others, you've got the prefix, John Carpenter's. Now, the only people, the the only film that I know that people use it is The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Everybody says that. Yeah, that's the differentiator from either the 1951 one or the sequel, Mm. which was also confusingly The Thing. Yeah. I suppose when the remake comes out, I will start to John Carpenter's Escape from New York mm. to differentiate it. But I imagine about a year's time, we'll just be back calling it Escape from New York because the bomb died and gone away. Well, if you use the prefix on this, it's called John Carpenter's Escape from New York. So you, you would think it's some sort of biopic of John Carpenter escaping from New York, wouldn't you? Yeah, when he left New York film industry to go to Hollywood, and it, you know, it was the plucky underdog story. Yeah, it wouldn't be a film that that I would go and see probably. <laughs> and the other one, so, the, the other one that it doesn't work yeah. on is uh, if you say John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, because your first reply is, "Oh, is he? Is he? Ah, oh, is he finally gone? He's in the mouth oh. of madness. He fell in." Yeah. See, see, this this uh, this strikes me with another film that I quite like that's got uh, that officially has a weird title, which is um, Army of Darkness, mm. the the third Evil Dead, whose official title is uh, Bruce Campbell's Ash versus the Army of Darkness, mm. which is a mad title. Yeah. Who's ever going to call it? it? It it's a strange one, isn't it? Um, I, and I don't, I've never seen why 
he has this insistence that his name goes before the title of the film. It, it sounds a bit egotistical, but I don't think it is. I, I, I'm not sure what the reason no, is. I mean, I think he, uh, at some, at one point, people went to see a film that was a John Carpenter film, mm. immaterial of who was in it, or you went to see a film because it was one of his films, wasn't it? After Halloween. Yeah. Um, a bit like, you know, Ray Harryhausen films, as we've discussed before, people would go and see him because it's a Ray Harryhausen. Yeah. So I can see that the, the box office appeal of having John Carpenter in the title. Uh, what, I wonder what his last film was that he put it on. I think it was, oh, it was on Vampires and it was on, was it? And it was on Ghosts of Mars as well. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Fair dues. <laughs> If he, if he wants to take credit for that, I, you know. all right. So good, good luck to so him. So whether it's John Carpenter's Escape from New York or you know Escape from New York, as long as it isn't Escape from LA, I'm happy. I think eventually we might have to. Um, oh, wait, just to that. compare. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In the same way that eventually we might have to do James Bond's Invisible Car. You know, it's one of those things we're going to have to yes. do it eventually. Yeah. But that is way down the list. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we should do Plan 9 from Outer Space as well. Yeah. Oh, no, that would be above then, definitely. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, so I don't know what you think about it, but personally, this film is my joint favourite of his, along with his version of The Thing. The um, I, I love them both, I, but uh, completely. Yeah. it's the alien-aliens thing again. I've rated them exactly yeah. the same level, but for completely different reasons. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think... They both sort of entered my life at about the same time, um, and I, I, I think I probably equally love them, and they're, they're my equally most watched film, I think. Um, but yeah, completely different films, different feels. I mean, everyone always um, refers to Escape from New York as an uh, action adventure, and it's not really. It's, I don't think it's quite got the budget to pull that off, um, but it is. They are. I think they are the strongest films. I rewatched. Um, a big trouble in Little China, which has never been one of my favourites, and I rewatched it on Blu-ray uh, a week or so ago, and I really enjoyed it. But it's nowhere near the quality of these two. No, at least in my opinion. No, yeah. I mean, you know, I love the thing because it is a masterpiece. I think it's a masterpiece yeah. of of filmmaking where everything you think, you know, just ticks the boxes. You, you know, it's almost flawless. This I love it because yeah. it, to me, it's like a comic book come to life. You know. I think it's it's perfect. It's down. It's a if you want if you ever want to study low budget filmmaking, this is the film to watch because every shot in it is a, an example of what you can do with no or very little money to make it look good mm. without it looking too silly or too like you know you're advertising that you haven't got any money. Um, and I think it's it, it's. The John Carpenter era, where John Carpenter was certainly at the top of his game. Kurt Russell was at the top of his game. Uh, the the ensemble sort of uh, cast that he had that were in several of these films at that time um, were at the top of their game. So I, yeah, I, I I think there's it's the definitely the golden age of John Carpenter. Absolutely. Even you say the the ensemble cast that he would would use, yeah. But also then you've got other people coming in who just appear once and they're just as brilliant. I'm thinking especially of Romero, um the Duke's, yes. you know, right hand man. Although he was in uh yeah, Assault on Precinct thirteen. Oh, of course he was. All right, scrap that. Yes, he was yeah. Um Lee Van Cleef. Uh I don't I I can't remember whether Lee Van Cleef was his first choice to play Hulk. Um, but he does a, I mean, he brings a gravitas to the, the film that, that is very, you know, very, very good. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I, I'm. Trying, I mean, Charles Cyphers is in it. He's yeah. he's always you know steady. Yeah, good steady actor. You say about Lee Van Cleef. Uh, apparently, it was his casting agent who came to him. It wasn't John Carpenter's you know choice, but she came to him and said, you know, who hasn't been in films for a, quite a while, Lee Van Cleef, and um, you know oh, right. that's why they went for him. I like I like um, Lee Van Cleef. I mean, he's he's in one of my my favourite western, The Good, The Bad, and the Ugly. Mm. Um, but I, I like the, the the fact that the hardest shots he did were where he had to walk mm, yeah. unaided because of it knackered his knee up. Yeah, he fell off like, a horse I can, I can, or something, didn't yeah. he? Yeah, yeah. It's like I can do anything else you want me to do, but I can't actually walk. Yeah. So they, hats off to him. It says um, John Carpenter says on the commentary the two most difficult bits was when just before uh, this sequence we're going to talk today, when he and Snake come out of the lab after snakes had been injected to actually walk down that corridor and act yeah. uh, <laughs> with his dodgy yeah. knee. And also when, you know, Hauk has helicoptered into New York and he's walking with his uh, soldiers, they were the two yeah. most uh, difficult scenes for him to do for the entire film. Yeah. He was evidently in a great deal of pain, wasn't he? Yeah. For the, yeah. For the, the whole film and sequence. I've been um, looking into the behind the scenes for this uh, sequence and and you can't help but also look at other uh, aspects yeah. and facts um, um, regarding the whole film. Are you aware who was considered for the role of Snake Plissken? Um, I probably have read it somewhere. I don't remember who it was. I was was was. I can never remember whether it was whether it was this or the thing where they kept looking for a, a Kurt Russell style of actor. And then at the end, they said, why don't we just use Kurt Russell? Mm. So I can't remember. I think that might have been the thing. But no, um, who, who was Well, there? it would be a totally different film. It's, oh, yeah. Um, Charles Bronson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, I, mm. and Clint Eastwood. Well, we almost get Clint Eastwood, don't we? Well, I was going to say, mean, Snake Kurt, Kurt's doing is, his best. He's yeah. definitely. <laughs> yeah, he's do, doing his Dirty Harry accent. Um which is, if you haven't watched the film for a while and you go back to it, it's just, it's uh, staggering <laughs> that you got away with it. Yeah, um, yeah I, d- I don't think it would have worked. I don't know. It might have done, but I think, I can't imagine anyone else playing Kurt Russell, but that could be just because I've watched the film so many times. It It is. I mean, it's one of those films, we've said before, it's one of those films where you can, you know, be flicking through the channels and yeah. you come across it and you just start watching it. It doesn't matter where in the film, you can just start watching it. And um, it and it never gets boring. Um, just like the thing, you can just watch it uh, yeah. on a marathon over and over again. never gets boring. Uh, fantastic uh, dialogue in it. It's eminently quotable, this film. Yes, yeah. It, like I say, almost every shot, every line is is an example of how to do this sort of thing. Yeah, have you got the yes, soundtrack? I, I, Yes, yeah, I've got the soundtrack in uh, in well the American soundtrack and also the German mm. Die Klapperschlang <laughs> soundtrack, yeah, which was uh, I looked at. I mean, it sounds rude, doesn't it? Is it just means rattlesnake? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, no, I, don't I, know why I mean, rattled. yeah, it's a testament to to the dialogue that you know that yeah. they've interspersed the soundtrack tracks with lines of dialogue. Yeah. you know, because it is so blooming good. It's. It, I mean, it's it's a brilliant soundtrack i think it's one of my favorites i do like the thing soundtrack but you can't really 
listen to it. You certainly couldn't dance to it. No. Uh, whereas this, I, I'll often put the uh, Escape from New York soundtrack on, just listen to it. I, I don't think there's a Duff track in it. No. I mean, the, the Thing soundtrack is my favourite John Carpenter film soundtracks because, you know, it, 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 it's just stunning and, you know, yep. evocative and suits it so well. This is my favourite of the John Carpenter and Al, Alan Howarth, you know, uh, combination yes. soundtracks by far. Um, I play this all the time. <laughs> I really do. It is. It's 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 just it's iconic, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's really good. Um, you say there about the German translation. Um, something else, a fact I came up with is that the name Snake Pliskin was actually changed in Italy to Hyena. Oh right, he was Hyena. But, uh, but he's got a snake tattooed on it. Well, did they? Did they see Jay a hyena coming out of these trousers? Maybe they did. Maybe they did. And uh, it would have been easier in South Korea. In South Korea, he was called Cobra. Yeah, that, yeah. that sort of works. I was going well, yeah. to mention his tattoo. You know, he's yeah. called Snake Pliskin, and he's got this snake on his midriff, which goes down underneath his waistband. It does make yeah. you wonder, where does that tattoo go, and what does the rest of it look like? I, well, we probably need a prequel film to explain that, don't we? Which they probably go into great detail. Have you ever read the novelization? Yes. Yeah. See, that goes into a great detail about lots of different things, much to the detriment of the story, I think. Right. It's, uh, it's a strange uh, adaptation. They obviously thought, we need to flesh this out a bit. Because mm. if, if we just write down all the dialogue from the film, it's about 20 minutes. Yeah. So yeah. they fleshed it out and, and added weird things like the fact that uh, Hauk gives Snake a secondary uh, uh, job to do to go and find his daughter who's in the, yeah. the prison and then uh, Snake just arbitrarily kills her without even knowing who it is it's just it's so weirdly random um, but I can't remember whether they mentioned why, what, how he got his snake tattoo no um, have you also got the Escape from New York the American uh, two disc set that came with a comic uh, no I don't think I've got that one call I yourself had a, a fan a, I know. Well, I, I'm, I'm a bit strange when it comes to buying actual copies of the film. I'll, I'll buy most of the stuff, but I, I don't tend to collect multiple copies of a film on, you know, on disc and, and things like that. Um, so I tend to uh, go for whatever the best picture quality is. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing that I uh, came came across while doing research that I never knew, and now I know it, I can't unhear it. Um, and it's like, well, why the bloody hell didn't you notice that before? The opening narration and the computer's voice in the first prison yeah, scene is um, Jamie Lee Curtis. Exactly, yeah, and, Halloween woman. Yeah, yes. who, who went uncredited. Now I can, I can hear her, Yeah, you know, but I never knew that. Um, I can't. I, it's probably one of those things I read in somewhere and have known for a long time. But, yeah, it's – she doesn't sound like any – I mean, she's got such a distinctive voice that, mm. yeah, I've never really sort of twigged that you wouldn't know it. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Call yourself a fan. <laughs> <laughs> right back at me. That one was. Hey. All right. Uh, one one last little uh, comment before we go into the clip. Um, the long planned remake. Um, it does look yeah. like it's finally going to happen. Uh, yeah. And the yeah. script is in the hands of Luther creator and writer Neil Cross. Um, now I I know on on all of these these uh, little chats we have, and we always end up with talking about a film that's going to be remade and we always go down the lines of no don't do it <laughs> but this is uh, this is one that i think they shouldn't do i mean john carpenter himself couldn't remake it properly mm. uh, escape from la is a remake yes i mean there's no it's 
to call it anything else is is just silly um and that was awful so i i don't i i think i'm generally curmudgeonly and think films shouldn't be remade but especially this one i I, again i can't figure anyone else playing snake no and it's still being snake yeah yeah the other thing is i mean a part of the appeal for me in this film is the charm of it the charm of the fact that it's we're going to go into it that it's it was done on a very low budget that you know it is totally a product of its time technologically wise you know, um, with his lovely watch and everything, you know, yeah. and yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really need to, I don't need to see no. a super duper no, I, modern version of it. I, th- I think, I think that's absolutely correct. I, I don't think, I, I mean, if you're going to remake a film, remake something that you can bring something new to it, you know, if, if it was say a 1950s sci-fi and you might want to update, I don't know why you would, but you might want to do one with you know different special effects, mm-hmm. things like that. But something like this where it works it it just seems silly to redo it. Mm. I, I mean, we know why, don't we? It's it's the almighty dollar, yeah. and that's the only reason this is being made. It's not that someone's had a creative idea and said, I must bring this film to the screen because of my unique vision. It's going to be a by-a-numbers uh, sort of remake that we're used to now. It's going to be awful. Well, I mean, you said my there about remake of 50s you know, science fiction film, uh, they did. They did uh, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And yeah. look at that. And wasn't that good? <laughs> Ooh, I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, the, the, only, the only 1950s remake I can think of that, that worked, and that was because they didn't remake it, was The Thing. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, you can, call, you, you can call it a remake in as far as that's what it originally was meant to be, and that's why it was put into production. But I think John Carpenter sensibly went down the route of, I have my own vision for this. Yes. And I, but I can't. I, I, I would like to see that in a, a if they do the well, when they do the Escape from New York remake. But I know the studios aren't going to because they want to keep every little beat. Yeah. Every, I mean, Snake will wear the same clothes. Uh, it'll. It'll just be tiresome. You have a Kurt Russell cameo, you just know it. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, guaranteed. He, I mean, they'll probably bring him in to play Hulk or something no, like that. No, he could be the Duke. He could be the Duke, actually, yeah. Oh, yeah. That, you know. Okay. Would, would he do it? Uh, he probably I hope would. not. I hope he's so loyal to it. I mean, you know, he has a yeah. genuine fondness for it. I mean, you know, yes. I love the John Carpenter, Kurt Russell audio commentaries because oh, they, they're, they're uh, just getting pissed, aren't they? You know? Yeah, that's two <laughs> mates yeah. watching a film, yeah. having forgotten most of the things about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Okay. All right, well, let's go ahead with the clip and then we'll finally talk about the sequence. <laughs> How's your altitude? Pliskin. Pliskin? Pliskin, what are you doing? Playing with myself. I'm going in.
So it's 1999, isn't it? It is, yes. Um, futuristic 1999, when we had a moon base, we all wore flares, yep. and New York was a maximum security penitentiary. Yep. Uh, we've got this opening narration that says that the crime rate has soared so much that, yep, Manhattan Island has been sealed off. Yeah. I, do you know what? I, I can't imagine any politician suggesting putting a big wall up because of the crime rate. It would never happen, that would it? That seems madness. Because yes. you, you, you would never get elected if you were going to come up with something as outrageous yeah. as that. Yeah, I, I don't think you would. And also, I can't see a politician behaving the way, a president even, behaving the way that uh, he does in this movie, where he you know, he puts himself above the people that are on the plane with him. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not going to happen, is it? It will not never happen. happen. never happen. Well, this is fantasy, isn't it? It's, it's not, it's not related true, yes. to the real world whatsoever. And thank goodness for that. What We wouldn't want to live in that world, would we? We wouldn't want to live in this world, actually. I mean, I was listening to the audio commentary and they were saying, you know, part of the appeal of Snake Pliskin, you know, to John Carpenter is that the world is just so rotten. Yeah, you could say he's the anti-hero, but he's the anti-hero who is more noble than an awful lot of the people that you see in this film. Because the world has turned uh, in this film. I'm not suggesting it has in real life, because the world has turned in this film, because Snake is an anti-hero, he's gone 360, hasn't he? He's yeah. become a hero, yeah. which is, is, is mind-numbing when you think about it. <laughs> right, so Snake, he's been given 24 hours by Bob Houck uh, to go in and get the president who has uh, crashed um, into Manhattan um, because he's needed at a summit that will avert a war between the US and China. In the remake, yes. that's going to be North Korea. You just know it. It's- yes, yeah. Also, they're not going to crash a plane into a building, are they, in the remake? No, no. No. No, that is a good point. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we've got to address that in this sequence. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Um, But I love how, you know, in the course of just a few lines in this film, we're set up for the world, you know, as well as the opening narration. You've got just the lines between, like, Hulk and Snake about how Snake, he was a lieutenant in the Special Forces Black Light, haven't you? Well, I, I love the fact that, that he builds John Carpenter builds a world with like you say with very few we're given very few details but we can fill it all in we don't we're not told how America became a fascist dictatorship no. I'm presuming someone elected an orange-haired buffoon but we we know this world we we know exactly where they're coming from yeah you know I mean it does worry me that I could, I, you probably had the same thing, but I can remember when, when we used to show this regularly at the cinema, people would come out of the cinema going, that's a good idea, make New York a prison. <laughs> and like, you, haven't got that. you haven't really understood this film, have you? In England, they would be saying it about the Isle of Wight, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> wow, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it almost is a prison, isn't it, the yeah, Isle of Wight? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're not told that there's been, you know, a war between America no. and Russia, but the fact that snake had got two purple hearts in leningrad and siberia you know yes in just one line you just you know this that's it you know there's there's been some sort of altercation with russia you're presuming that that america's come out top china is a i mean isn't it how prescient this film was Mm. because it you know that china is the world power versus america yeah um the fact that they mentioned that the New York police force has become almost an army and camped around it. And it's like, I mean, you sort of almost have to put yourself back into sort of the early eighties where, where the American police form force wasn't armed like an army mm. where it is. So now you look at it and you go, Oh, okay. John Carpenter had a crystal ball back in the I uh, think, late seventies. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah I, it, it it's it's amazing how i mean even like we, we just sort of skirted around it but even right down to the um crashing a plane into a building mm. and a landing act. a plane yeah uh, yeah like the, the the taking over of a plane for a terrorist act yeah yeah he's quite yeah it's quite pres- it's quite unnerving in places how yeah, looking at it now, but back been. then, no, yeah. that that was just it was fantasy. It was fantasy. It was comic book stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, um, the sequence starts. It Snake has been driven to an airfield by Jeep because he's got to go in in the Gulf Fire. Okay. Yes. I always thought it was the Gulf, as in the Gulf Stream, the Gulf Fire, right. but it's not. It's the Gull Fire. The Gull, as in Gull Seagull. Fire. The Gulf Fire. Yeah. I thought it was Gulf Fire. But anyway. Uh, he, I can't say that I've ever really worried no, about it. No. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, he's driven to an airfield by Jeep. And you just see a bit of the runway and the glider and the rest is darkness. Again, this is this is a film filmed on a very, very low budget. They didn't have much money. So film it at night. It's all suggestion, isn't yeah. it? See, almost this entire sequence is suggestion. Mm. And it's great. That, and and, and, yeah. and it, it makes for the appeal of the film. Again, I don't want to keep going on about possible uh, remake, but you're going to see everything. You're going to see absolutely yes. everything because with technology yep. now, you know, you can do that. But here it's left up to your imagination and it yeah. adds to the charm that when he gets in the cockpit, you've got Kurt Russell sat there in the dark. He's got some sort of like red torch just behind him. Yeah, there's less cockpit him. than in Plan 9 from Outer Space, isn't you, there? You there's, just don't see the cockpit. Yeah. It's his a red light yeah. and his little display in front of yeah. him you know and i love it but you at no point do you not buy it no. you think he's in a glider yeah 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 and i i've said before but i i love his watch yes <laughs> i love his chunky digital watch you know yeah you can buy watches very similar to that now can't you in airports which is quite strange yeah i mean i remember um when those, those, those watches first came in i think the first time i ever saw one was in was it the spy who loved me roger moore had one yes that's very true uh, well, they were hideously think, yeah. expensive a digital watch a watch without yeah. hands you know <laughs> well the the because there's a, a very very good making of uh, the spy who loved me uh, no it's um it, it was first used in uh what was his first one the one in harlem oh, live and, live and let, let die. die yeah and the reason they they gave it to him was because they had terrible trouble matching up continuity shots with a normal watch oh, so they right. gave him this digital watch that was off until you pressed it right press the button and and it you it, then it was so futuristic but now it's just it's uh it's like oh dear you, you wouldn't give one of them to a five-year-old oh i would have one yeah. i i would yeah. have one in a shot you know um you know because i, I you know i was a kid you know i was yeah. like 15 when all this was coming out and, yeah. you know and i remember you know the first kid in school to have a digital watch i remember the first kid in our class to ever have a calculator and we're all so like you, fighting to have a, have a look at it and operate yeah. it you know <laughs> so you, you remember when digital watches were a pretty neat idea yeah, yeah they were the future they yeah. were the future, you know. You had a bit of like space age technology on your wrist. Now, yeah. no, nobody wears watches anymore. They all need their mobile phones. I wear a watch, but well, I do, but most people don't. Yeah, well, perhaps you should say most young people <laughs> don't wear a watch. I was listening to a podcast today yeah. where they're talking about, you know, because last night was the premiere of the new Star Wars film. Oh, was and uh, yeah, and they were saying that at the premiere, um, you're allowed to keep your mobile phone, but you put it in a bag that's got a lock. Okay, so you can't access it 
you know, during the films to stop you filming or, or, you know, taking photos and stuff. But the guy was saying, but that's a real pain because how do you know what the time is? You know, because if so many people use their watches. If you're wondering what the time is while watching a film, that ain't a good film. No, that is a good point there, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, get back on target. Um, Snake, Snake, he's in his glider after the live action takeoff. Again, it's live action, but you don't see much. You just see this little plane pulling the glider up into the air. Yep. Spend oh. your money wisely. Yeah, yeah. We get a lovely shot of the glider approaching Manhattan. Um, yeah, oh, that is. A, yeah, that is a really lovely, uh, presumably model shot. What it is, you've got footage of, at the bottom of the screen. You've got footage uh, of real water. Yeah. The, the actual Manhattan skyline is a matte painting. Oh, very good one. Though. Which we'll come on to on behind the scenes. And then you've got the model shot of the glider above. Yeah. So it's three images combined. But it looks fantastic. Again, it's filmed at night, so everything's dark. But yeah, that, that it's a beautiful shot. It is. It's um I when when you said about doing this uh, this particular sequence, uh and I thought, Oh that would be an interesting one to do because there there are a few slightly less than brilliant sequences in it with the glider and then i rewatched it last night ready for this there isn't it's mm. all perfect there's no so either they've changed the blu-ray which i don't think no or you know it works fine there's there's no dodgy uh, um sort of matte screens on on display no. etc there is one little niggle i have with it and i'll mention that when we get to it with the glider but yeah. um we go back and we see inside and we're seeing his heads up display these yeah. three screens um, which we'll talk about it in behind the scenes, but that yes. was done because they didn't have much money. So they come up with the idea of we can just show his journey. Uh, yeah. I was going to say we'll show his passage. Uh, which, yeah, no, no. no. Uh, they show no. his journey uh, via animation to save money. But again, you're, you, you were saying about, you know, this was uh, foretelling many things. Many planes now don't really bother or have, have much of a use of cockpits now because they do yeah. have screens in the cockpits now yeah it's all it's all done you don't i mean you don't need to look out windows that's very archaic now isn't it no no um and then we've got more great model work we have a shot looking down onto the city yeah um there's only a few lights on here and there but that's a terrific model shot there it is it's it's really nice really detailed yeah the next bits coming up is the bit i've got a niggle with when he banks hard left and the glider sort yeah. of like goes round a corner and there's just something about the way it almost does like a 90 degree turn and i'm thinking oh mm. i don't know i think the wings would snap at that yes. point yeah you know? yeah and then you've got him going oh been a while yeah. you know yeah and there's also a, a shot where you only see it on the computer screen and he's going towards a building and then he pulls up at the last moment yeah and again you think yeah, that's not quite going to happen in real life. No. You just smeared yourself into that building. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, like I say, the 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 model work in it, when it like say flying over it, that is that's sort of jumped out at me last night when I was watching it. It's like that's really nice. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? So yeah, as you say, he goes up. He's going up the building because he's getting height to get yeah. to the World Trade Center. And uh, Hauk is saying, you know, you know, Pliskin and what are you doing? He's like, I'm playing with myself. Um, I'm going in. And uh, we get the graphics first of the uh, Twin Towers, don't we? Yes. Yeah, before we see them. And then we do see them. Um, Again, really, really well done miniatures um, as it approaches. And then we've got the real glider landing. Um, Yeah. 
and when it lands i love i love the way it goes from it keeps switching between the sound effects yeah. of what's happening outside to silence back out in the cockpit the, the sound effects really help with the scene because they they reuse the same little bit slightly sped up yes. a couple of times and that's my only real nigger with this sequence is that i i i it's a, a bit like in Mad Max. I don't like when they speed things up to make it look faster because I immediately it says to me they've sped it up to make it look faster. I don't think it ever works, no. and I don't think it really needed it. No, no. But he fires his grappling hook. Yeah. Um, very handy to have that on board. I don't. I don't know if gliders actually come equipped with grappling hooks. I would. Uh, I, I wouldn't like to say no, but I would doubt it. Yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Not many I, I gliders feeling, uh, land yeah. on top of skyscrapers, really. No, I got a feeling in real life, if you were coming in to land and you had a downward firing grappling hook that went through concrete, A, you would get kicked off that airfield for damaging their runway, <laughs> and B, I think it would probably snap the plane in two. Well, I would have thought the force yeah. of momentum of firing that hard yeah. enough to, for it to go through uh, into concrete would just push the plane over wouldn't it yeah i would have thought because they're very light things gliders they're very flimsy yeah um i certainly wouldn't go up in one no but uh yeah they're they're not they're not well built so it i think it would i think that's artistic license isn't it it? is but it's it's the comic book again it's a comic book feel this could be the bat plane having a grappling hook you know so yeah fires the grappling hook you know we have all the screeching as it approaches the end edge uh, it reaches the edge and stops on the very end, doesn't it? Yeah. Setting us up for, for the end of the film, where you do have a bit of a dodgy effect with the glider. Yes. Uh, uh, not, Hollywood doesn't seem very good at having things fall off of buildings, did I? I think like in Robocop with uh, Dick falling yeah. out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and we, uh, yeah, this is the same. It, 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 it turns into a, a quite obvious model or mat shot. Hmm. Um, doesn't quite work. I remember when I when I sort of initially watched this and it annoyed me no end that snake doesn't pull the glider back on a bit mm. and then i thought afterwards actually that's quite clever because he the idea is that he brings the president back up and they launch that was the yes. whole point landed on the towers so you wouldn't want it back on you would want it there so you could just cut the grapple and yeah and then they free fall down and to then, their deaths yeah, yeah. <laughs> well well donald pleasancy he's not exactly um lightweight is he yeah he's not he's not a svelte man is he no 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 there you go a, a, a chubby president of them uh, of america yeah mm. although he is british in it which is is strange isn't it <laughs> yeah and uh, we, we haven't even mentioned that I, it's fantastic yeah the president of yeah. america is uh british I, I i love it on the commentary where john Carpenter says that um uh, Donald Pleasance had came up with this whole backstory about how he was uh, a, a love child of Margaret Thatcher, <laughs> and, and 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 uh, uh, John Carpenter says that just don't worry, no no one will bother noticing. Yeah. And he was right. You just buy yeah. it. You don't yeah. at any point go, hang yeah. on. Yeah, you just go into this world. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's our sequence over because after that he he gets to the lift and down he goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, behind the scenes then. Uh, if we rewind to the beginning of the sequence, uh, the takeoff runway was filmed at a place called Indian Dunes, which oh. is north of L.A. OK, um, and it was a real glider used, OK, which they had borrowed, uh, but they built it up, beat it up real bad during the, the whole landing sequence. And the owners weren't at all happy with this. All right. So they, so they actually landed the glider. Yes, that's a real wow. landing on this airstrip. 
um, you know, filmed at night, dressed up to look like a bit of yeah. the roof of uh, the World Trade Center. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, now, initially, for the special effects, John Carpenter went to John Dykstra, you know, who was, yes. you know, fresh off of Star Wars, Battlestar Galactica, etc., etc. Um, but he thought they were, and this is the quote, outrageous beyond my wildest dreams. I couldn't believe their price and their attitude. They have the attitude that they're celebrities, and I don't understand it. Yeah, well, I suppose they've come off the back of, like say, Star Wars and that. Yes. Yeah, and I, I, I guess celebrities means very, very expensive as well. Yes. Yeah. So instead, he went with Roger Corman's New World Pictures effects mm. team, okay, uh, which uh, included, we've mentioned quite a few times on this show, yes. the Bob and Dennis Skotak brothers, um, along with James Cameron. Yes. A young whippersnapper by the name mm. of James Cameron. This Was this one of his first... Uh, effects jobs i think no he had worked Is with it? the skotak brothers on another roger corman film which you know very well battle beyond the stars ah. where he was a uh, miniature model maker yeah okay in this though um he was also doing matte paintings um right. that, that lovely matte painting of the skyline is in part um thanks to james cameron yeah he is a very good artist isn't he, he did a lot of the mm. terminator storyboards and that and that yeah and you see it was original yeah. designs for you know the terminator and aliens yeah. you know and um yeah and he, he made the very first mock-up of uh the dropship didn't he he yes. did what we did he kit bashed yeah to make one yeah and um James Cameron, Cameron apparently is greatly influenced by John Carpenter. You know, the look of Escape from New York is all over the Terminator, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. You know? And a number of scenes from Aliens mirror scenes from Escape from New York. You've got Hudson being pulled under the floor in Aliens. Well, that's a riff yes, on what yeah. happens to season Hubley. Yeah, in, in Chuck Full of Knots. Chuck yeah. Full of Knots, yeah. yeah. Um, and the thing with a knife that Hudson makes Bishop do is a direct homage to Dark Star where you've got, um, it's not Pinback, it's not Doolittle, it's the third one. The guy with the moustache, the rather chubby yeah. one. He does the knife trick, doesn't he, uh, in Dark it, Star? It's been, it's been many a year since I've seen Dark Star. Perhaps Get I it on Blu-ray. It. it looks yeah. fabulous on Blu-ray. It yeah. really does. And there's some excellent, excellent documentaries in it. I'll have to uh, grab that one. Yeah, it's, what, I'm trying, it's got to be a good probably 15, 20 years since I've seen it. Oh, you can, you can get it dirt cheap on Blu-ray. Yeah. I do recommend that because we, yeah, you've got to get that because we'll yeah. do that then as an episode so yeah. when you've got it and we'll do it. Yeah. Excellent. Um, some people say that James Cameron was the brains behind the animated glider display that we've been talking about, but it wasn't. It was a guy by the name of John C. Wash who had worked with Carpenter on Dark Star and he went on to do the animation on board the Death Star in the first Star Wars. Yeah, right. Um, on the Death Star, where you've got those huge screens showing an animation of how close the Death Star was yeah. to the Rebel base on Yavin 4. That's John C. Wash's work. Just just a question on, on that, you being a Star Wars fan. Why didn't they just blow up Yavin 4? Exactly. <laughs> Always wondered. Anyway, back yeah. to the film. Yeah, Right, back on track. Yeah. So this John C. Wash, he and another guy we've mentioned on this show before, Mark, Mark Stetson, uh, they yep. built built three miniature models of Manhattan. Okay, there was a wide overview of Manhattan and two larger scale models. One of Park Avenue, uh, leading to what was then the Pan Am Building and the area around the World World Trade Towers. Okay, right. now so what they did was they made models of Manhattan, 
and to make them look look like it's animation they painted them black and edged everything with white okay it's, it's just clever isn't it it's yeah. su- such a simple but clever idea and then optically tinted in yeah. green you know cheaper than uh, getting someone to program wireframes which is is mad when you think of it now you could do that on your you know your home pc I mean, it's brilliant. I mean, this is yeah. old school model making, yeah. you know. Um, they set up this thing. The models were filmed by Hoyt Yateman and Scott Squires at DreamQuest. Um, they filmed the actual uh, miniature buildings. And at one point for uh, Snake's, I was going to say passage again, Snake's journey yep. <laughs> down the uh, the narrow, you know, uh, yeah. streets of Manhattan, they used a special snorkel camera that could fit between the buildings, yeah. okay, and, and then get in there nice and uh, uh, close. Because okay. it's, a, it's a very detailed miniature, isn't it? It's, or, yeah. or is this for the – was this for Oh, the, no, it's, it's quite large. I'll, I'll put yeah. it up on, on Facebook. It, it's, it's quite a size. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know what happened to it all. Um, I don't know if, um, you know, somebody owns it. I don't know if the Skotek brothers kept stuff. But, um, I would imagine if it's anything to do with Roger Corman that he would have saved it to use in other things. Put it in something else. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Um, yeah, as I say, they they tinted it green, uh, so it was like green on black. Yeah. Because that was standard visual yeah. quality display on all the computer screens of the day. You know, now it, as yeah. uh, as you say, it'll be some sort of like you know virtual reality three D hologram hovering right in front of him or something. Yeah, it, yeah, it'll, it'll, you're right, because it, it'll be a 3D heads-up display. It'll be terrible. Yeah. Um, and that's about it. That's all I could find on Behind the Scenes. Yeah. All right. Because it's quite a short sequence, really. It is, it? yeah. It's, um, like I say, when I sat down to watch it uh, last night, and it is, it's, it's quite short. When you compare it to the overlong and awful sequence in, uh, sequence in the uh, Escape from L.A., where mm. it's a submarine, mm. uh, and it's just terrible it's just it's just shockingly bad um this again it's like all of this film there's no fat on it is there that's every shot counts Mm -hmm. this and the story there's no there's there's no fast forward bits everything tells you something you need to know about this world Mm -hmm. it's just incredibly clever i say john carpenter at his best yeah i think i think also i mean you know it, it was very good timing because you know they had they didn't have much money to, to do this filming. The the only filming of actually in New York in the whole film is um, at, at the very beginning on the Staten Island little bit there yes. that you see. Yeah, which but, is, which is a tiny little sequence, and then it fades to black. Yes. on a wall, and then you and then then you're no longer in New York. No, it, it was all in yeah. St. Louis. Yeah. Um, they, they filmed it in St. Louis, and it was it was really good luck because back in '77 there had been a massive fire in yeah, the city they, and a lot of it was devastated and they hadn't got round to actually rebuilding it. So set dressing wise, they didn't have to yeah. do much other than the crash plane. You know? Yeah. It's uh, again, like, like all the best films, there is an element of luck mm. in some of it. Um, but yeah, it, the New York looks grimy in this, doesn't it? It looks, yeah. it looks really good. It doesn't look like they've just used a, a stock street and, you know, put a bit of, rubble and damage on it it for it a very li- yeah, yeah for a very little exactly for a very little budget they've yeah. made a very convincing ruined new york yes yeah and Brilliant. it's just just 
I imagine, I mean, what the budget of this would have would have been what about a tenth of the Escape from LA, something like that, yeah, easily. Um, and yet, it's it's not. I mean, I I know it's set in 1999 and 1997 is when New York, but it's not aged. No, this like I say, you see when you see the the World Trade Towers, you sort of go ooh, a little bit yeah. of. Mm. That's the only yeah. thing. Yeah, I mean you're you're absolutely right. The costumes in this, the outfits, yeah. you know, they're they're um. They they're not dated. They have an age. In fact, Snake Pliskin's nifty trousers. Yeah. You know that's. I think that's the first time I'd ever seen urban camouflage. Yeah. Before, and you still see people wearing that walking around the streets. Yeah, now. it's quite it's quite fashionable, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, there's no outlandish seventies yeah. uh, hairdos. I mean, Adrian no. Barbeau's got a bit of a tight perm going on there, but um, yeah, yeah, you know, it's it's, it's not, not dated. It doesn't look like it's from the seventies. Yeah, and the the street gangs don't they haven't got that designed look they look like they're people that have just you know reused a bit like mad max 2 mm. it 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 feels real whereas all the all the things that ripped off mad max 2 and all the things that all the italian versions of escape from new york that there were mm. um it looks like a designer has designed every outfit yeah now a designer has designed every outfit in this, but they've obviously done it really well, and it doesn't look like they've designed every outfit. Um, but it's just it fits. It's like you say, Snake's Snake's uh, outfit fits his personality. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it, it's perfect for it. Um, the one in the sequel, prequel, remake, whatever the hell we want to call this, the the the, the new one that will come out is, you know, they're gonna they're going to use the same sort of outfit, but update it. Or, and it will just, it will be overproduced. Yeah. Um, it'll be rubbish. No, let's just stick with this one. In my mind, there never was a sequel. There was no, uh, no. escape from LA, you know? Yeah. Or escape from earth or escape did, from earth. Yeah. That did, was did going ever, to be the third one, yeah. wasn't it? And then it was the, the, the storyline was used for that awful escape film. Mm. Um, the, the, where it's the prison in space. Yeah. With yeah. Guy, Guy, is it Guy Pierce? Totally miscast, did yeah, it? Yeah, um, yeah. And it's, yeah, it's, I, it doesn't need it. It's like all of these films, they don't need sequels. Oh, just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah, it's it's perfect. If, if you want to go and watch a film like this, go and watch this. Yeah. You know, and if you want to watch another film like this, go and watch this again. <laughs> You'll okay. see something new in it, you will. And on that, that leads nicely into the rating for this sequence. And it is just for the sequence, not for just the whole film. Just for the sequence, film. not for the whole film. Uh, I think this, I, I was prepared for this to be a sort of a middling score for me because my memory of the sequence was that there's a few dodgy bits in it. And I I don't think there is. I think the only dodgy bit is the reuse of the, when it comes into land, the reuse of the footage and the speeding up. And for that, I think it, it gets a, a solid eight and a half from me. Right. Okay. Um, I oof. great effects on a budget, but I'm not going to be as generous as you. I'm going seven and a half. Ooh. Right. If if you give it eight and a half, I give it seven and a so half. That critical. makes it an eight. When did you become so bitter, Eric? Well, I'm not bitter. It's just <laughs> that I'm, I'm. This show has been going yep. for a year now, and you know, every week I update 
you know the ratings yes. list on the facebook page and so i'm very mindful now i'm i'm, I'm thinking numerically differently to how i was when i started the show right. that where does this fit amongst other amongst things others. You but know? should you not should you not judge it on its own merit i do judge it on its own yeah. merit but also on i don't know what no i don't know what? no no it, it's very well done yeah Oh, no, right. I, I, oh, no, I, I no, know no, exactly. No. Yeah, no, I know no. exactly what you're thinking. No, no bollocks to it. Um, I'm changing my uh, opinion. <laughs> I, I'm going to match you on an eight, eight point five. Ah, um, oh, you've there. convinced me. We can't have Snake being below some something else like that. All right then, eight, eight and a half. That gives him an eight and a half. All right. Excellent. All right. Okay, Ian. The golf fire is waiting for you up on top of the roof. Excellent. I hope so. So no one's cut the cord holding it up. Yeah, just watch that drop, all right? Yes. The first step is a bugger. Yeah. Indeed. Right. Okay. Cheers then, and uh, I'll speak to you soon. Thanks, then, Eric. Bye. Cheers then. Bye-bye.